You're in the water loop. Hi, we are in the water loop. I'm Travis, and my guest for this episode is Dr. Wallace J. Nichols. He is the uh, author of Blue Mind and uh, has done many other things with books and speaking and a lot of different endeavors. Thank you for uh, making some time to jump on here and talk. Oh, my pleasure. It's great to great to see you and great to talk to you. Yeah, as I uh, as I mentioned offline, um, Waterloop is a new podcast, and I wanted you to be my my first guest because uh, I thought I think your your work and this whole Blue Mind concept or Blue Mind reality uh, really represents a lot about who I am uh, as a person and why I feel so connected to water. Um, and so I wanted I wanted you to be the first guest for that reason. Uh, so for people that might not be familiar with uh, with Blue Mind, what what is it? What's this all about? Well, yeah, Blue Mind is just a, a phrase that refers to something that you and I and probably everybody listening here knows quite well. Uh, the way we feel, uh, which is generally a good feeling when we're near in on or underwater and we want to be course. So if the water's coming through your ceiling or uh, <laughs> filling your basement, that is not blue mind. That's something we call red mind. Uh -huh. um, but when you want to be there, it's that feeling you get, that refreshed, reset, connected to yourself, connected to the people you're with, the, your loved ones, uh, connected to the place. That that feeling. And I've, like you, I've felt that my whole my whole life. And I think I could probably describe my life as a, the relentless pursuit of that feeling, uh, both in in work and play, uh, where I live, where we vacation as a family, um, where I go to think, where I go to mourn and grieve in those times where we go to celebrate, uh, where we have ceremonies. Um, it's always about water. And as a marine biologist, I never learned about that stuff. Uh, oh. We were not taught uh, about the cognitive, emotional, psychological, social, spiritual, physical benefits of healthy waters. We're talking about all the other stuff, which is really important. So uh, as a scientist, I was just, I would say, curious, beyond curious about this thing, this force, right, that has uh, driven my life, essentially, dictated where and how I live. Uh, and so I went looking for a book about about that feeling. When did when did you go? When did you go looking for that? When did you realize? Wait a minute, there's something, there's something here. You know, I I would say I've always felt it, and then uh, as an academic, as a researcher, I've always incorporated it. But kind of in the early 2010s, I I got late late. You know, I'd say 2008, 2009. Um, I got kind of serious about, you know, the neuropsychology stuff. And I thought, and it, you know, so put it in the context, there were a whole bunch of cool projects going on in the world that were connecting brain science and the things we care most about, like music and art uh, and economics and decision-making uh, and of course health. And I was seeing all of these sectors engage with 
uh, neuropsychology in productive ways. And I figured, oh, wow, water and our brain, there could be something there. There's mm-hmm. probably a book about that. <laughs> when I was looking for it, I couldn't find it. Uh, so I thought, well, maybe it's out of print. Maybe it's in German. <laughs> maybe it's in Japanese. Uh, you know, you do, but you know, the different kinds of searching that you learn how to do when you're in academia, the deep searching. And I found I didn't find anything. I found some studies, but they hadn't been connected. The dots hadn't been connected. So then I tried to get somebody else uh, to write the book that I wanted to read. (laughs) Uh, So that I could read it and use it to support the work that we do for the ocean. And I I failed miserably at, at that job. Nobody would take this proposal and run with it. Mm. So the third piece of the story is uh, I wrote it. So that took five years. Um, to be careful what you wish for, I guess, is sort of part of the <laughs> part of the lesson there. But also when you when you find a need that truly is a need and there's a vacuum, fill it. Do you know step in there and make it happen. Whether you do it yourself or you gather the resources and pull the team together and hand it off. Um, but when there's a need in a vacuum, just move into that space. And, and I, you know, so backing off of the Blue Mind theme a little bit, that's always the way I've worked. I, I don't like redundancy mm-hmm. um, in, in many things that I've worked on. As soon as the space became crowded, I, I'm out. You know, I don't, I don't want to be one of a thousand uh, organizations doing exactly the same thing, saying exactly the same thing, competing for a small pie of resources. Uh, so as soon as I like, I like to jump in to new big things and get it going. And then, um, once it's going, jump to the next big thing. Yeah. So this was perfect. Uh, there was an open space and a need for, I, I perceived a need for this conversation to happen. Uh, and so long answer to your very simple question, what is blue mind? (laughs) <laughs> it's the phrase, the two-word phrase that simply describes this feeling that it turns out many, many millions of people feel, uh, but didn't quite have the words to articulate. And I hear that over and over again. Uh, people say, you gave me the words, your book gave me the words to describe something I couldn't describe to my friends, to my family, to my loved ones, to my spouse. Uh, and so that's really it. That's kind of the this the simplest version of it is you know describes the way we feel, the positive way we feel when we're in uh, or near water. And you know you mentioned how it gives the book and the, and the concept gives people the words to describe what they've always felt. And I think the uh, the thing that really jumps out is it does this through some pretty serious you know, neuroscience, right? Through through the science of the brain uh, and research that's happened around there. And, uh, you know, as you you really set that up in the book is talking about how, how the brain works uh, and then start to talk about how water feeds into that and, and kind of the interplay there. Um, and I'm already quickly out of my expertise, uh, you know, alpha, beta, theta, and all these different waves going on, right? Um, so, 
this isn't just some kind of, uh, you know, feel good concept thing with Blue Mind. It's actual real hard science. Could you talk about kind of the the neuroscience brain research end of this and um, how you looked at that and and generally what's going on in the brain? Yeah. So, you know, broadly speaking, the the science of our emotions is a real thing. It's something that um, was kind of off limits for a while. Uh, if you 20 years ago, if you said, I'm going to study the science of happiness, mm. or I'm going to study the science of joy or the science of anger or the science of relaxation or meditation, people would look at you funny and say that there is no science of happiness. <laughs> uh, now, there, you know, you go to that section of the bookstore or the library, um, and there's a whole section on the science of happiness. And the reason is, is that these emotions that we used to separate from sort of rational thinking and scientific endeavors are built uh, of us. They're built of our uh, nuts and bolts. Um, they're built of neurons. They're built of neurochemistry. Mm -hmm. uh, that is in, you know, innately available to study. So that's, that's kind of like the first broad breakthrough is that we can study emotions, the building blocks of emotions as scientists. So, Psychologists have done that for a long time, but some of the work is very subjective. Um, you know, but you could, because we couldn't see inside of, of our own brains. But now we can. We have the technology that allows us to not only measure our neurochemistry and hormones, but also look at the movement of electricity uh, across our nervous system. Isn't it, it's it's amazing. I mean, yeah, I was reading, you know, the the FRM uh, MRIs and these different, uh, you know, different equipment where they can see what's happening and with the electricity of the brain and with neurons. Yeah. And I mean, that's in real time. That's that's the kicker, right? It used to be if you wanted to study the human brain, you had to study someone's brain when they were done using it. You get my <laughs> drift there. Um, and that's how it went for hundreds of years. We studied the brain, you know, the disembodied brain. Uh, we looked at anomalies and injuries and patterns mm. and compared that to how people use that brain in life. And then we created maps and descriptions of what we thought was going on and what brain regions were involved in certain functions. Now we can look at your brain, my brain, any, any brain, literally, in action. Mm. So you can put on a cap, you can put on an EEG that measures electricity in your brain and go surfing or go into a float tank or sit and watch a movie, uh, or have a big bowl of spaghetti, uh, drink a glass of red wine, and scientists can see how your brain responds to the world around you. So these tools are now available to us. There is a, a, a deeper, greater understanding of how our brains work. Um, we're getting there. There's so much, so much more to do, clearly. Uh, and so I look at it through the water lens because we're water dudes and that's what we're obsessed with so if i you know if i was a wine person and a scientist i might be studying your brain on wine and i you know i'd have like a different kind of book um but i'm a water person so i'm interested in the brain on water so we take these tools that are available broadly to study human behavior and response to our environment and we apply them to this set of questions. Now, water is not a niche. Water is life. That's mm. almost a cliche, but it's true. Yeah. Uh, we are made of water. 
we um, come from water. We all of us spent nine months underwater in the dark inside our own personal float tank called Mom. <laughs> but we are all about water, whether we realize it or not. So there is no more important conversation than the conversation about water. Now, when you bring in the conversation about human behavior and our uh, our mind, wow, that's a hell of a cool conversation. That's a great mashup. It's almost really touches everything we do. Uh, so it's so, so much fun too. So the, the research um, that has been going on since my book came out, I think it helped jumpstart even more research. All of it says, yes, this is, this dynamic is real. This is true. Water is good for us. Mm. Uh, in all of these ways. There hasn't been a study that has said, oh yeah, this blue mind thing is BS. There's no, there's no effect. Um, there are small effects, there's medium-sized effects, and in some cases, uh, very strong effects that, that are signaled through the various kinds of research that are going on. So, um, you know, I encourage people who are interested in the, the peer-reviewed literature side of things to go to Google Scholar and just do a search for blue space uh, or blue health. Um, there's a term blue care that's also being used and you'll find reams of, of great studies that you can dive into. I won't try to summarize them all here except to say um, the research is increasingly clear. Uh, the research will continue, but we're now at a point, I think, where we can pivot to action. How do we take what we now know uh, about the important role of water to our, our emotional health and um, build, improve the systems, whether it's education or healthcare or design, uh, conservation work can benefit greatly from this conversation. So that's really where, where I am personally right now is, is that that pivot from trying to prove something and make my case to the feeling that it is the case is made. Uh, and now let's go out and, and practice it and yeah. put it in the uh, You said one thing I want to follow up on, and that's about how we we came from water. And I think you were talking not about, uh, you know, in the womb, but millions and millions of years ago, you know, and you talk about this in the book and it's something that I'm sure you've felt and others have felt like when you're by the water, especially for me by the ocean, you know, I just have like this pull um, and feel like I should be in there. That's where I'm supposed to be. That's my home. You know, I have this incredible attraction and, and peace and everything. And so I think in the book you talk about, right, like we evolved and came out of the sea. Um, yeah. yeah. So, so there's, a, you know, there's a real, you can go, you can go pretty deep into the you know the history of life and it takes you to the water mm. so that's and you know I, I my phd is in evolutionary biology and wildlife ecology so i kind of have a background there but you can also go i guess less deep and look at human history and back before we had such a great system for distributing water which essentially modern humans at least in, in north america you're never more than, you know, 10 big steps away from running water throughout mm -hmm. your day. 
right? Wherever you are, it's either a garden hose or a tap in the sink, in the kitchen, or the bathroom. I mean, we're even at work in the office, and we're just pipes with water in it everywhere. Wow. And we've done this incredible job of just piping water all over the continent, really. Yeah. And incredible network. Go back a few hundred years and that wasn't there. So um, the and go back a few thousand years and it gets a little more um, dicey and serious about finding water, carrying water. Um, and even you go back even further and you can imagine people dying you know, very regularly because they didn't have water. They were in the wrong place at the wrong time and there wasn't any water. And you get, you get less than a week under those conditions and you're done. Mm-hmm. Before that week, your brain function starts to fail. Uh, dehydration is, is a horrific thing to experience. Um, we're very unfamiliar with true de- dehydration. Uh, so from that perspective, the ability to sense water, have a positive response and move in the correct direction and position yourself relative to that healthy, clean, satisfying water that will keep you alive. That's like skill, human skill number one. Number <laughs> one. Yeah. If you can't do that, you're that's you're it. Right? Right. You can go a month without eating. You can go a lifetime without love. You can go forever without the internet. Uh, but without water, you're you're not getting through the week. So the that we have the basic uh, sort of instinct to respond favorably to the the sight and sound of moving water makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we we weren't doing studies three thousand years ago, ten thousand years ago, twenty five thousand years ago. So. Uh, when you talk like this about human evolution, some it's somewhat storytelling, um, but it makes sense, right? That we would have evolved a skill set. In fact, all animals need to evolve this skill set uh, to locate and retrieve water, whether it's through their food uh, or through you know standing water. Um, so. In that context, blue mind makes sense. Uh, and then you add the cultural layer where we, we positively reinforce, uh, you know, the, the poster on the wall behind you. Most ads in most travel magazines mm-hmm. depict some sort of water. Mm-hmm. Increasingly, I've been seeing pharmaceutical ads showing people mm-hmm. enjoying water, whether it's surfing, jumping in a pool, walking on the beach. Uh, so we associate water and wellness that you, if you're walking on the beach, that implies that life is good. Mm, you right. are yeah. able-bodied and you're feeling fine. Uh, <laughs> so pharmaceutical companies use that. Subaru uses surfing to sell cars. The list is long. Um, so there's that cultural reinforcement of something that is more sort of uh, archetypal, we could say. Uh, so. Water shows up throughout literature, throughout all spiritual traditions, throughout you know, art, music, poetry, through all cultures, for all human history, in this way that sort of uh, is used to depict sort of a, a sense of wellness. And uh, so I always quote uh, the 23rd Psalm in, in, from the Bible, which is my favorite Psalm. Uh, not everybody has, a fav- everybody has a favorite Psalm, but that's the one that begins 
Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. Oh, no. Yeah. Blue mind psalm. To me, the, the paraphrase of it is, um, when the shit is hitting the fan, get your ass to the water. Say uh. right? <laughs> so when you've got red mind yeah. around you, get your, get your butt down to the water and chill. And there, 3,000 years ago, there it is in this ancient text. And you find the same sentiment across all spiritual traditions. Um, 3,000 years ago, King David told the world uh, when, <laughs> when, when, when things are bad, you know, the valley of the shadow of death, how much worse can it get? It's bad. Uh, get down to the, to the river, sit down, and, and chill your ass out. So um, there it is. Yeah. All right, you set up you set up my kind of next question really well there, and that's um, you know I I surf, and you've you've referenced surfing a couple times. Uh, you've referenced that when uh, when things are bad, get to the water, and so you mean that's <laughs> surfing does this incredible incredible thing for me. I mean I've I've been a swimmer my whole life. I've done paddling, I've done some diving, and all that stuff. But it's it's surfing. That does something like nothing else does and so i smiled the biggest smile at the line in your book when you say quote surfers probably exhibit more blue mind than anyone i mean i smiled i almost cried tears of joy because i just like yes it's it's i, I mean uh I, I feel that way and then i got got to read that uh, about kind of the explanation um and so i'd love for you to to explain uh why you say that yeah, so you know, surfing surfing puts it all together. You know, there are many, many activities, and I think we both share a love for most, if not all, of them. Surfing kind of puts it all together on a on a small day, on a big day, on a scary day, um, when you're learning, um, when you're out surfing with your loved ones, with your friends. Uh, it, it puts all of the best of your mind together, um, and every day is different. So mm -hmm. there's a you know, there's sort of a, an axiom in, in marketing, marketing 101, which is repetition with novelty. Mm. That is sort of your equation. Just like log that idea in the back of your head and, and use it. If you do repetition without novelty, uh, people ignore what you're saying and they, they no longer hear it. So the car alarm is going off and then after 10 minutes, you don't notice it anymore. Mm. Um, if, if your marketing is about repetition but not novelty, then it's ignored. If it's just novelty without any repetition, it's always different, it's confusion. Mm. So when you combine those two things, um, you get people remember, which is the goal of, of marketing. So what does that have to do with surfing? Surf repetition with novelty, it's, you know, it's, it's the same activity. It might, you might be using the same board or, or three or four, depending on how many boards you have. Uh, it's always waves, but then the novelty comes in. You know, none of the waves are the same. Um, the, the color of the water is different every time. Sometimes there's wildlife out there. Uh, it's just you know, constantly changing. Yeah. So it's the same, but it's different. And so that's appealing uh, to our, our monkey minds, right? We, we like that. <laughs> we don't want it to always be the same. Um, even the wave parks that are you know, being created there, you know, you can dial up and dial down and change the wave. If you mm. could, I think their, their, their business model wouldn't be as strong. Yeah. You can change, even the manufactured waves are 
must be changeable. So that's that's part of it. Um, the whole process you go through when you begin to surf from start, if, you know, if you were going to go surfing right now after this interview and you decided right now that that was the case, <laughs> your brain chemistry would start to change right now. Oh, yeah. Just just okay. saying just saying that spiked it. Exactly. Yeah. So that surfing begins and ends well before and way after you're in or out of the water. Um, it extends through the story that night that you're telling about the wave you got. Um, surfers love to stand around and, and go around and drink beers and tell the story, right? Yeah. And so that storytelling fires you up. You empathize with the storyteller hmm. and you're, you experience some smaller version of what they experienced. And they're experiencing it again by telling the story. So on all of those levels, it's just kind of um, very um, emotionally valent, I guess you could say, very personal, but also very shareable, very social. Um, so it's the perfect kind of package for, for, for Blue Mind, really. Yeah, uh, the, uh, except for when it isn't, you know, when it's crowded or <laughs> polluted or way too big and way too scary. Right. Uh, deadly, um, then that's red mind. Uh, but it's even that mix of of a little bit of that red mind with the blue mind that makes it um, uh, the, the repetition with novelty component. So you never know who else is going to be out there. You never know if a, a bigger wave is going to come and kick your butt. Um, or there might be some wildlife, you know, that you don't really want to be surfing right. with. Um, yeah. So I love the... Um... Uh, when you explained also that, you know, from the exercise standpoint, you're out there, you're surfing and uh, you get the adrenaline going uh, and then you get the the dopamine going. And so you're just having all that great stuff <laughs> flowing through your head. Um, and then, you know, like surfers know, you come out and you're just like stoked for a couple hours. It just feels so good. And you know, you're like, that's the, the endorphins just kind of lasting and lingering in your body. And man, that's like, that's like the greatest. Um, yeah. and, and you know, a lot of the research is not specifically, the research that backs up the statement you just made is not specifically all on surfing. You know, it's a, it's on exercise. exercise. Way, way more research about your brain on exercise and all the neurological and emotional benefits of exercise. So that's a piece of, that's a piece of, to your point, what's going on. Um, you know, a, a day on the water is a hell of a workout. I mean, you, yeah. you, let you, you work your, your muscles pretty hard. Uh, and so you've got all of the benefits of, of that just exercise going on. But um, there's a neuroscientist named John Medina who wrote a book called Brain Rules mm -hmm. and highly recommend it. Um, and what he said is, this is a great summary of the book, we are at our best when we are outside, in motion, solving problems together. Mm. And surfing it is kind of that. You're outside, obviously. Uh, you're in motion, you're exercising. That's the exercise piece. You're solving problems. You're reading the tides, you're reading the wind, you're reading the waves, you're reading the wildlife, you're, um, you got currents, you got fellow uh, watermen and women that you're 
you know, mm-hmm. navigating. And you're together oftentimes. Some, it can be a very social, can be a very um, solo activity, but it's, it's best when, you know, there's some social element to it. And so just to, you know, that little equation there, um, outside in motion, solving problems together, lines up really nicely with this activity we call surfing and, and many other activities um, yeah. that involve water as well. And uh, I think a lot of this also makes uh, surfing so addictive, right? You, you talk about how actually addictive it is because of this, all that's going on in your brain and with your body. And it's just like, you just want more and more of that. And it's, uh, it's hard, it's hard sometimes to explain that to non-surfers or for them to understand, you know, that if you haven't been for a couple of days, you're like crawling up the walls in your house to get to get out there. So Yeah, so uh, at our first Blue Mind Summit that we did at the California Academy of Sciences, uh, a neuroscientist named Mike Merzenich uh, asked him to give the closing keynote, which basically was to sit in the room all day and then at the end of the day, say whatever he wanted for as long as he needed uh, and he's a brilliant scientist and um, one of the things he said was that the human brain the human nervous system the human condition is prone to addiction and it it uh, can have horrible consequences however if it can be harnessed as a force for good then that's a pretty interesting proposition. So if you can become addicted to things that make your life better, make you stronger, um, make your um, your business better, make your family, make your community, make your nation stronger, you can become addicted to those things. Wow, mm. there's no stopping us. Yeah. And that, that does happen occasionally. And uh, if you become addicted to things that tear you apart, tear your family apart, tear your body apart and then eventually tear your community and country apart. Well, that's not good. So how can we do that? And, you know, I think to your point that the addictive qualities of, of athletic activities, especially ones that are, are so cognitively stimulating and, and satisfying, uh, are, that's, a, that's an example of a good addiction. And we all know uh, people who have even taking that good addiction a little too far <laughs> right or <laughs> we may be those people um and <laughs> interfered with their relationships and career and you know you, you don't show up for work yeah. because the waves are good you may not end up with a job uh, right so um yeah. yeah it reminds me of uh a legendary surfer the late andy irons and i think he said at one point like i surf because i come out of the water a better person and that always resonated, you know, you come out and you just, you, you feel, you treat people better, honestly, and, and all that. But I want to ask you quickly about a couple other uh, water uh, endeavors and just kind of get your thoughts on them. Um, you know, swimming, diving, and float tanks. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, and kind of what's going on with each of those, because same thing, I you know, I've I swam competitively from when I was young until, you know, college, and that's what I do for my exercise. If I can't get in the ocean or whatever um and it's just the same thing it feels very therapeutic obviously for the exercise components but um yeah what what else about swimming yeah so lap swimming can be can be boring we know uh, True. If you 
swum competitively, there's an element to it that's there's a little bit of dread sometimes. Those morning workouts where you're just like, mm -mm, yeah, I don't want to do this. You hit the water, you still don't want to do it. Thirty seconds in, you're feeling it, and then it's all good. But um, swimmers know that experience. Um, open water swimming changes that up a bit. So take your your desire to swim and point it towards a river, or a lake, or or the open ocean. And now you're you're having a whole different experience. But um, and increasingly, people are using pools therapeutically, but not for lap swimming. For basically doing uh, the whole range of CrossFit uh, exercise activities in the water. So um, weightlifting, resistance training, treadmills, exercise bikes, a whole range of, of different movements. Um, you look online, you'll see some incredible examples of people coaching competitive athletes um, in the water. So, you know, the entire range of movement that your body goes through to do just a full on mind blowing slam dunk of a basketball, mm. you know, the, the arms over the head and the arch back and the giant leap. Um, you can practice that in water and reduce the amount of injury you know, extend your flexibility in a whole really cool way, improve your strength, uh, your range of motion. So, so from a swimming perspective, I, that's the evolution of swimming that I'm seeing. Repurposing mm, pools to be more aquatic gyms or blue gyms. So that's exciting and interesting. And I would say watch that space. Uh, and it isn't just for competitive athletes, it's for um, rehab of any kind and also for people who are aging. Uh, slowing mm -hmm. down joints, don't like gravity anymore, uh, you can take it into the water and, and you're, you'll be better off. Um, so that sort of segues a bit to the, your question about float float tanks. So yeah. the float tanks are basically a small pool filled with Epsom salt and water and uh, you don't move very much. There's, there's very little light, no light, no sound other than the sound of your own body. The water, your body, and the air are all the same temperature. Uh, and so it's the most nothing you've ever experienced. Hmm. Turns out when there's no um, information coming into, into our nervous system or close to it, uh, we, don't go, we don't just turn off. We turn on in a completely different way. Hmm. Uh, and so I recommend if, if you haven't tried it. I haven't. No. Do it. Just put on your short list of things I must do this month and figure out how to do it. I would say sign up for for two one hour or 90 minute sessions, maybe three. Okay. Just give it give it a full try. You may you may say, wow, that was really weird. I'm never doing that again. <laughs> and then you'll have this story you can tell about the weird thing you did. Yeah. Or you'll say, wow, that was really cool. I'm going to do that again. Or for some people, it becomes a, a monthly or, or weekly routine, including uh, many elite athletes. So players on the Golden State Warriors, including Steph Curry, and players on the New England Patriots and the Chicago Cubs, and maybe right down the list, use float therapy uh, as part of their, their athletic training regime. Wow. So um, creative people use it uh, to access a you know, different part of their, their thinking. Um, and just mildly stressed out people get 
benefits from it. So cool. There, yeah, there's a, a float place pretty close to my house that I've driven by and seen, but I've never never done it. So I will, uh, at, at, on doctor's orders, I will give it a. Yeah. I'll give well, it a. So here's, here's the tip, and I'll, I'll, uh, this is for everyone. Go in, say that you want the special Blue Mind discount, and you want the three introductory float package. And then okay. see what kind of, see what kind of deal you can get. It'll save you a couple of bucks at least. All right. And uh, I've I've spoken at the the float conference uh, keynote did it, and uh, so I know uh, the industry has grown a lot. So I, I know a lot of the leaders in that space, and uh, it's great. It's really a, I think a, a positive development in in uh, healthcare. One more sport uh, before I ask my last question, and that's just about diving. You know, yeah. I've I've done more free diving than scuba diving, but I love how you talked about. You know, it's that's just the full immersion, right? You're you're immersed. There's no gravity and the buoyancy factor, and and I, you describe how you're like, you know, you're actually pushing through the water. You're you're moving water all all around you, and so um, yeah. Could you talk about kind of the the diving side of things. Yeah, so you know, you can you can kind of start to see the continuum from what you could say was extreme blue mind, which you might experience in a float or the epic surf day, and then something more mild, which might happen in your in your bathroom, in in, in the shower or at the tub, and then things that are in between. And I, and I say free diving is is uh, uh, you know more on the extreme blue mind end of the spectrum when you're when you've got your breath hold well developed and you're feeling confident um, and you can stay under for several minutes you um, experience this kind of bliss uh, and part of you know, so part of part of the blue mind experience is what is taken away as much as it is what you get so when you're on when you're say let's just say 50 feet underwater and you're holding your breath and you're comfortable and you don't feel panic and you're looking around and you're checking out the world under there um you're not going to get a text message <laughs> you're not going to hear any human voices you're not going to hear somebody say your name I, I need you to help me with this thing you're not going to hear leaf blowers and lawnmowers there are no screens all of that chatter that we take for granted that fills our lives more and more and more it's all gone right and you're you're alone kind of with your thoughts but you're you're not completely alone there's there's the life around you um but then you're kind of squeezed in a way so there's some pressure that mm. uh that holds you and so there's a uh the somatic you know your body is is having an experience as well which you may not even be that conscious of but there's a there's it's no surprise that people um, with certain kinds of anxiety uh, will find it easier to sleep with heavy weighted blankets. That's a therapeutic activity that's become more popular. Um, so being underwater is is like the ultimate therapy blanket. You yeah. know, in a way. It's, <laughs> it's squeezing in all from every direction all around you. That feels good. I mean, it feels it feels held, and so you you have that experience as well and all of this of course uh is it, you know builds off of wanting to be there you know a drowning scenario or a, a forced submergence scenario is not what we're talking about sure you sure. got competent um comfortable 
uh, purposeful water experiences. Uh, and so free diving is a great example, and you know scuba diving as well. But I'm kind of I'm a scuba diver, and 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 I have been a much more active free diver in the past. And uh, I like having less gear, more and more and more. The less stuff uh, I have, um, I, I like to be free of of those limitations. Yeah, well, it makes sense a lot. Um, I guess my my last question for you is. All this we've talked about um, as we're sitting here on Skype and, you know, watching clocks and uh, talking about text messages and everything. You know, we have this crazy busy world we're in. Uh, we've got technology just kind of taking over and there's news coming at us and the world's stressful and all this stuff. And so um, it just seems like this is a time to really, like I think you alluded to from the beginning, take advantage of what's been realized here and what science shows uh, with the power of water and and use it for uh, you know therapeutic and and keeping yourself grounded in in nature and reality and and all that. Yeah, I you know I think it's a simple reminder that just put it in the back of your head that whatever the situation that you need you know you're working on whether it's a a difficult conversation a stressful day um you're uh, if you're raising a child uh if you're in need of some, a boost in creativity um if you're really sad and you really need to grieve whatever it is that's going on in your life put this on your So whatever the so you know if I said hey, Chad we got we got to talk we got some serious stuff to work on uh, let's let's go to the beach right do it there yeah uh, let's go for a walk by the river uh, let's let's get in the hot tub let's go <laughs> let's get in the pool and have the conversation near nearer in the water um, and so for throughout your life that would be my 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 mess my simple message is consider water your your medicine and your friend and in in whatever capacity that that makes sense so um and just put it put it right there on you know on 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 at the top of the list as one of the tools that can help you do do you better yeah and, and wherever you are so you know you, you're lucky i'm lucky we live near near the near the ocean but uh, wherever you are, there's great lakes, rivers, ponds, creeks, pools, tubs. It's all available to all of us um, remarkably, you know, wherever you are. So uh, it is no excuses, really. Yeah. Well, um, thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you were the first guest I had on, on Waterloop. I appreciate the time. Um, people definitely, if they haven't checked out your book, they should check out your book and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, thank you so much and look forward to connecting in person at some point somewhere by water. Yeah, well, we, we do a, uh, this will be the sixth year we do, a, uh, every year we do an online book club um, starting on January 20th. And you don't even need a book. So this is not a pitch for selling books. This is just a, a pitch for joining the conversation. But I get on Facebook Live and read a little bit of the book every evening. Oh, and, cool. Uh, uh, West Coast time at five, eight o'clock East Coast time, wherever I am, I'll just, whether it's on my phone or my laptop, 
if I'm in an airport or on a beach or in the kitchen, uh, I'll just get on and read a few pages and we'll chat about it. And people always have great comments. Um, so if you're if you're not much of a reader, but you feel like you want to read the book, but you know you're not going to actually read it, maybe you just want to listen to a bedtime story for for a bunch of days in a row. Or, come come um, follow you on social media. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, okay. so I'm easy to find, um, and yeah, just uh, throw that out there. All right, it yeah. sounds good. Well, hey, thank you so much, and uh, yeah, take care. Yeah, you too. Yeah. Bye. You're in the water loop. <laughs>